Well, some of you don't quite recognize me. Um, a razor did finally find me. I was on a, a zoo. <laughs> uh, I was on a Zoom with other pastors this last week, and about 20 minutes in, I finally talked, and one of the other pastors who knows me messaged me and said, "I literally thought you were a Brian intern until this moment when you started talking." So, anyhow, hey, my friends, just like that video, you and I have a father whose arms are wrapped around us, helping us to endure and cross the finish line. Do you believe that? So you may wonder, okay, I believe that, I think, but what's the finish line? Today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be a Derek. And ultimately, the respectable sin that we're going to look at, look at today is this little respectable sin called quitting. And that's a strange one to consider as a sin. So before we dive into that, let's take a moment and welcome our other campuses. Let's give them a hand as they join us by simulcast today. Welcome to everybody. Um, I had the privilege last Sunday to worship with our Cincy campus and just love what God is doing up there. Uh, Took some of our younger kids up and they were in the kids ministry and they loved it. They have started a construction project up there to make more room for more kids, and it's so exciting. Come this winter, the room that they're going to have. Can't wait next Sunday to worship with our Bainbridge campus, and you all know what God's doing out there. Our God is at work, and he is changing lives and changing communities, and he's using us, and that's really cool. So no matter if this is your first time here or your thousandth time here, thanks for being here. No matter where you are on this race, of faith or this journey of faith. Maybe you're not even at the, finish, at the start line yet. We're glad you're here. All of us are a work in progress, some of us more than others, and we have a long way to go. So thank you for being here. This summer, we're talking about respectable sins, sins that to us don't seem like that big of a deal, but actually are an enormous deal to God. And you may wonder, so why are we talking about quitting as a respectable sin. If you've been going through this book by Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins, you won't find it in this book. And there's a a reason that we're covering quitting today. For one, this book is not an exhaustive list of all respectable sins. There's many more. But the main reason is this. It's because every week as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're contrasting something that God's trying to build in our life with the opposite of it, which is typically a respectable sin. And so as we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. These kind of things that aren't native to us that God's trying to create in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it just didn't seem right to do a series all summer on the fruit of the Spirit and respectable sins and skip over this one right here. In fact, maybe this is the one we need more than anything else because you and I live in a faithless culture. We are part of a disposable generation. We're the single-use microwave generation. If it can't be done in uh, 60 seconds or less, we don't want to keep doing it. And that's why you see repair shops closing down. Things are made to last only as long as they, till they break, and then we throw them out. We don't repair them. Our generation, by far, has become one of the most impatient, 
faithless generations. And so maybe it's time that we just pause today and say, okay, if this is a quality that God's trying to build in the lives of his kids, and it's so opposite of our culture, what is it about this quality that's hard, and what do I need to do to develop it, and what would this look like in my life if I actually developed it? A little later in Galatians 5, actually chapter 6, God's going to say this. 6 verse 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Read this with me. If we don't give up. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is anybody else tired? Those of you who were playing softball yesterday, you're exhausted. Some people here played seven games of softball yesterday, 8.30 a.m. till 8.30 p.m., they're exhausted. Many of us, I think, just from the last year and a half, has that tired you out at all the last year and a half? Maybe not physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, but it's been a grueling, exhausting season of life. And what God says is he's saying, listen, don't get tired of doing what is good. And here's why. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So obviously a farmer analogy is being used here, and farmers, they go through a grueling difficult spring with unpredictable weather, and they plant seed in the ground. They go through usually hot, treacherous, difficult summers, and they need to make it to fall because harvest isn't till fall. And if they're going to reap the fruit of all of their labor, they've got to make it to fall, or everything that they've done is in vain. So, thinking through what God is telling us, let me ask you, if you're tired and you're tempted to quit, you could be quitting before the harvest. And, and it breaks God's heart when his kids are so close to harvesting after a difficult season, and instead they just say, I, I'm, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't go forward anymore. And God says, if, if you just don't get tired, if you just don't give up, there is a harvest of blessing waiting for you around the corner. Don't Throw in the towel. By the way, have you ever heard that phrase before? Anyone know where that comes from? Some of you boxing fans know. I didn't. I had to look it up. So it happens when a boxer's in the ring getting absolutely pummeled and punished and getting knocked senseless, and his corner will realize we have got to spare that poor guy's brain before it turns to mush. And so they grab his towel and they throw it in the ring. And when the ref sees the towel, <laughs> runs in, separates the boxers, the race, the fight, the match is done. It's over. And how often in life are we fighting and we're just like, I, I, can't, I can't take it anymore. You know, we look over to a corner, grab the towel, th throw it out. I, I can't go another round. I, I can't make it another moment. 
you know, and maybe our corner doesn't throw in the towel, so we run over and grab it for him and throw it in. I just can't do it anymore. And so we walk away. We walk away from that class, from that commitment. And we'll never know what might have happened if we had stuck it out till the end of the round. We'll, we'll never know if we had stayed on the mat what God could have, would have done on our behalf because we tapped out, we threw out the towel too early. Has anyone else in here ever quit on something? And I think when we do, we always wonder what, what could have happened. You know, if I had just stuck out that class, I bet I actually could have passed it. But I was just so scared of failure. If I had just stayed in that relationship and gotten some help, I bet we could have worked it out. And I bet I bet wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in today. If, if I had just stuck out that commitment, I could have made it. If I had just seen another variant show up called Delta and just said, okay, it's just another wave, another season. I can make it. We can endure this. But I throw in the towel and I'll never know what God would have done if I had stayed in the fight just a little bit longer. Let me ask you, when the going gets tough, are God's kids supposed to quit? The world is filled with quitters. It's what our faithless generation does. We quit when things get tough. But God's standard is a lot higher for his kids. Let me share it with you. Philippians 3.14. I press on to reach, what's it say? The end of the race. I'm not just entering the race to get a participation trophy. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And so the imagery is kind of powerful as you, as you think of this statement, that there is somehow this finish line that all of us are running towards. If you're a child of God and you have faith, you're running towards the finish line. On the other side of that finish line is God's son, Jesus. And he's like this. You can make it. And I imagine other times he's like, come on, come on, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You can make it. And you have to say, okay, well, what is this finish line? Well, the idea here is that it's some sort of finish line that when we cross it, we'll get a, here's a little hint, heavenly reward. Where do you think you'd get a heavenly reward at? Yeah heaven, right? So, so you and I don't cross that finish line until our final breath. This is why we don't get the luxury of quitting while we're living. Because the finish line is that moment when we pass from earth to eternity, and Jesus welcomes us on the other side of that finish line and gives us a reward he's already prepared ready for us. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Jess, I'm a little confused here. If quitting is a sin, does that mean I am never supposed to quit? Not necessarily. A few caveats here. 
There's times when you may need to leave a bad relationship, a sinful, toxic relationship. Yeah, you can quit on that. There's times where we might to need to switch jobs or, or make life changes. But be careful that when you make a change or a switch or you throw in the towel, that you're not just doing it out of exhaustion, out of some sort of insecurity that you're not going to be able to finish, so I might as well duck out now, out of this feeling, this weight that I, that I can't go any further. Any good athlete, any great athlete knows something about pain. They know that pain has to be pushed through because the body can endure far more than the mind thinks. Those of you who have ever done athletics know this. You push through the burning, you push through the pain because your body can endure more than your brain is telling it it can do. And so your brain is screaming and it's a, it's a, it's a battle of mind over matter. I can go faster, I can go longer than my brain's telling me I can go. And the same is true in this walk of faith. We can go further with God as the Father holding us up than our brain is telling us we can go. But to do that, you've got to remember the why. So here's a statement. When you feel like quitting, remember why you started. When you feel like quitting, remember why you started. Anyone else had to do that a lot lately? You know, this is a season of ministry when you've probably noticed there's many pastors that are, that are thrown in the towel. You know, and I don't judge them or look down on them at all. This is a season where no matter what decision you make, you're going to make a bunch of people angry. And that's, why not, that's not why anyone becomes a leader or a pastor. So that's why I don't come into the office on Monday mornings. Because statistically, that's the day when most pastors resign. So I don't want to be in the office or near my resume on Monday mornings when I feel the weakest. Because there's this constant battle, right? Constant battle. And all of our hearts and all of our souls just check out. It's just, it's just not worth it anymore. And so my question for you is, why'd you start? I don't know in what area you're tempted to quit. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's a job. I don't know if, if it's a class. I, I don't know for you what it is. But in that area where you're being so tempted right now to just in exhaustion, just pull out, just throw in the towel. Let me just ask you, why'd you start? Right, for me, I, I didn't go into ministry to make people happy, ultimately. I didn't go into ministry to have a good career or a good life. I did it because I knew God gave me gifts he wanted me to use for his glory. And I have to keep going back to my why. And so for you, what's your why? Why did you start what you started? Why did you start it? You know, I, I, I have a friend who back in 2010, he made a commitment, and that commitment was to serve on our church's newly formed building expansion team. Some of you were here and you remember that, right? We selected 10 guys, many of them with construction experience, and we said, hey, we're out of space. Will you guys design us a new space that includes a 500-seat worship center? And so these 10 guys agreed to do that, and what happened is the planning was much more challenging than anyone expected. 
And it dragged on far longer and required far more time than anyone expected. And my friend met with me a couple years later, still on the team, and he just admitted to me, he's like, I really want to step off this team. But I'm not going to quit. And I was so moved by that, I remember just kind of questioning him, like, why? Obviously, you know, you've given way more of your time and your energy to this than you expected. Why not step off now? You've done a good work. And he told me a story from his childhood. And, and I had to go back to him this week to refresh myself on this story, and it was pretty cool. See, when he was in junior high playing basketball, he was halfway through the season, and he wanted to quit. And so he shared that with his athletic director, who sat him down and made the statement to him. He said, once you quit something for the first time, every time after that, it becomes easier to quit and not fulfill your commitment. He said, that statement was probably the best advice I was ever given as a kid. He was 12 years old, and he still remembers it to this day. And because of this statement given to him by a coach, he has instilled in his home a no-quit rule for his kids. His kids are not allowed to quit on something they've committed to, something they've started. Because of that, his kids are now phenomenal athletes with some really cool college opportunities. And it's all because as a 12-year-old kid, he had a coach who wouldn't let him quit. A coach who told him, once you do it once, it'll always be easier the next time. And because of that, he's, he's helped to instill this in his own life and in the lives of his kids. Because of that, he stayed on the team. He endured. And it was about five years after he started that by God's grace, that facility was finally built. The one that you are sitting in today. The one that by God's grace we outgrew that first opening Sunday and it became a launching pad to reach two new communities in the next few years. He got to be part of that. Why? Because he wouldn't throw in the towel. He wouldn't quit. Now, before you think, okay, Justin, I feel like I'm in a locker room in high school and you're just giving a motivational speech. Before you think that this is just one of those types of speeches, let me share with you what God's no-quit Apostle Paul wrote. Just so you know, this isn't just coming from a coach or a motivational idea. This is coming from God himself. Here's what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 9.24. He said, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Run to win. God is telling us it's not enough to just enter this race. We need to be running as if we need to be in first place. We need to be running to win. And what that means is I've got to be running across that finish line with all my might. What did you notice if you watched any of the Olympic races? What did you notice at the finish line? The people who won, they were gassed, but they were pushing as hard as they could through the finish line. You don't run to the finish line, you run through the finish line. And you're leaning forward and you got your chin out or, which, or your nose, whichever's longer, and you're trying to cross that finish line first. 
No coasting, right? God doesn't want his kids to coast. God doesn't want his kids to just feel like, ah, it's not a big deal. Not only am I not supposed to quit, I'm not supposed to be coasting on this race. You know, in ancient history, there was a Jewish young man who was exiled and became a refugee in a foreign country, and his life went upside down. He was torn from his family that he loved. This young man was so trustworthy, was so faithful, was such a non-quitter that the king of his empire that, that conquered him noticed him. And, and let me read for you what is said about Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. He proved himself. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. This is a Jewish refugee over the Babylonian empire, a foreign Jewish kid. And here's why. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. It doesn't take long to find fault in the way our government leaders handle affairs, does it? But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn about Daniel. He was, listen to this, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? That you are faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Has anyone ever heard of a Spartan race? Several people in our church have, have done this, and, and it's been fun, and, and I've had the, the joy of doing some of these too. And what's fun about these races is they're, they're much more grueling than expected. Um, I guess that's not the fun part. That's the bad part. But the fun part is if you make it across the finish line, they have something waiting for you. They have a banana and a granola bar. But what's better is they have, they have a medal, right? They give you a medal that is heavy duty and nice and cool and you get to hang it up in your closet to collect dust. But what's cooler, I think, than the medal for anyone that does a Spartan race is you get a t-shirt at the end. You're like, okay, cool, it's got a Spartan symbol, that's cool. But what's cool about the t-shirt is that there is probably the best compliment you could ever give anyone in one word written on the back. finisher. And my friends, this is what God is calling us to be. He wants us to not just be starters, he wants us to be finishers. I don't know if there's any better compliment than we can ever get from God than well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, you finished. You're a finisher. You know, anyone can enter a race. Anyone can enter a Spartan obstacle course race. But only those who make it across the finish line get the prize. And I think in this race of faith, or this race called life, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when we're tempted to throw in the towel, I think we feel like, oh, maybe I don't deserve to be out here. Maybe I don't deserve to be 
God's kid. Maybe I don't deserve to be in this situation or in this relationship or whatever the case may be. And what if the reality is that winners, they're not people who never fail. They're just people who never quit. See, let, let, let me use Scripture itself to explain this. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, do you know that before us have been men and women and children who have stuck with the faith through incredible odds? In, in the early church, in the time of Nero the emperor, he hated Christians, used them as his scapegoats. He dipped them in tar and put them along the road and lit them on fire. They were his night lights. They were his lamps on the roads. And as people would cross those burning Christians on the road, these burning Christians would be praying for Nero. And they would be singing songs to their God. And the phrase in the early Roman Empire is, no one burns like a Christian. No one burns like a Christian. There's something different about them. And we're surrounded by examples like that. Let us then, as, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin, even the respectable sins, like quitting, that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So, so God's already telling us, if I'm going to run this race, it's got to be with this quality of endurance. Why do I need endurance to run this race? Because this race is going to be harder and longer than you expected and than I expected. Has anyone else noticed that yet about the Christian life? Listen, when you signed up to follow Jesus, did you know it would be this hard? I don't think most of us did. And it's going to take endurance because my mind and my body are going to want to throw in the towel over and over and over again on what God's called me to do. But there are people of faith who have come before me who are surrounding me like this great cloud of witnesses. And their examples are to motivate us. Let me read what he's talking about when he says there's a great cloud of witnesses right before this in Hebrews 11, verse 32. Just listen. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, Daniel, <laughs> quenched the, fur, the fury of the flames, all those Christians in the early church, set on fire by Nero, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, listen to this, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Oh yeah, sign me up for that one. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
My friend, if you are a child of God and you are running this race with endurance, the world is not worthy of you. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let me ask you a question. This race that's harder than any of us expected, is it possible that it's harder on purpose? You ever thought about that? I mean, I know our expectations haven't matched reality with life and faith and all that, but is it possible that it's harder than we, almost all of us, expected on purpose? Is it possible God did that because he's trying to accomplish something in us during this race. Look at what Jesus' half-brother James says, James 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, if you want to really take God literally, next challenge you face Next difficulty you face, when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, take a moment and say, God, thank you, this is awesome. I have great joy about this struggle. Here's why. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Consider this a great opportunity. My pastor as a kid used to say this phrase over and over. He used to say, what if this is really a wonderful opportunity brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation? What if this challenge, what if this hardship, what if this job, this class, this relationship, what if it's just a wonderful opportunity that right now is brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation? I remember as a kid thinking about that, like, wow, could that be? Could that be possible? What if God is disguising the blessing and the joy that he's about to give me in the wrapping paper of a challenge I think I can't endure? What if God is doing it to stretch me beyond what I think? Any great coach will always push his student or her mentor, the people they're mentoring, they'll always push them beyond what they think they can do. What if that's God? Say, I'm going to push you beyond what you think you can endure to stretch muscles you think you don't have. And I'm doing this for a reason. Because see, if I tap out, if I throw in the towel and I don't pass this test, you know what's going to happen? Is I'm going to miss the next one God has for me. The next promotion, the next opportunity that God has for me in this life, I'm going to miss it because God says you're not ready for it yet. We're going to have to stay right here until you can leap over this hurdle. Once you do, I've got a better one coming. But I've got to get you over this one first. Anyone else watch mountain biking during the Tokyo Olympics? They had some pretty fun terrain to go over. This wasn't just an afternoon bike ride at Atsunango Park. And they were all prepared for it, and no one complained. Oh, except for one guy. 
the gold medal hopeful from the Netherlands. This is him. And see, the story of what happened to this Dutch biker is that in the training runs before the big event, there was a ramp here. And so he expected the ramp to be there at the big race. And his teammates all told him, the ramp will not be there. This is training. This is so that we don't get injured before the big race. But he went into that big race with the expectation, no, that ramp's going to be there. And this is what it looks like when you go down a ramp that's not there. See, how many of us are riding this race of faith as if there's ramps, when in reality, they're jumps? How many of us have entered this race of faith thinking it's going to be a leisurely bike in the park, and instead it's a bike down a mountain? And we don't know how to navigate. We don't know how to stay up. We don't know how to do it. The Christian life is much, much harder, much, much more challenging than most of us have realized. And I think it gets us to a point where we realize, I can't do this alone. And it's at that point that God says, good. I'm glad you finally realized that. Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally, say this word with me, finished. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. You didn't start this race of faith. You didn't start it. God started your race. God's the one who called you onto the track. God's the one who told you you're going to run this thing. God's the one who initiated your faith. And the reason you can't quit is because God won't quit on you. This isn't just your journey. This isn't just your story. This is God's story. And he's writing you into it. God never starts a story that he doesn't finish. And when he started your story of faith, he fully intended to finish it. We can't quit because our God is not a quitter, and he will not quit on us. And if you ever question this, don't look any further than Jesus Christ. Here's the rest of our Hebrews passage, verse 2. We do this, we, we run the race with endurance, and we reach the finish line by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Where am I supposed to look? Jesus. Look who, what he's called, the champion. Why is he called the champion? Why is Jesus the goat, the greatest of all time? Because he endured and he finished. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You're not going to perfect your faith. You're not going to finish your faith. You're not going to cook your faith till it's well done. Jesus gets to do that. He started it, he initiated it, and he perfects it. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. When you are tempted to give up, look to Jesus and realize that Jesus is the ultimate finisher. Jesus is not a quitter. He cannot, will not, 
ever quit, ever give up. In fact, all through Scripture, we are taught over and over and over again about a God who's not a quitter, a God who can't give up. The Psalms are where two-thirds of the talk about God's faithfulness are in all the Bible. The Psalms are songs written by people facing difficult situations, and they're writing these songs of trust and hope and a God they think is trustworthy, and a God they think will avenge them someday, and a God they think that will one day bring justice and make everything that's wrong right, and a God where, where they can't understand life, but they're going to trust God. Let me show you one passage in Psalm 145. It says, The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. Do you know that God fully intends to keep every commitment that he's ever made. What's fascinating, if you ever go through this book and you find a promise from God, I've got news for you. God intends to keep it. There are over 8,000 promises in this book, and do you know what? There's not a single one that God has failed at yet. Now, here's what's cool about those 8,000 plus promises. Some of them haven't happened yet. Some of them are prophetic. You know what that tells me? God's still got work he's gonna do because he's a God who keeps his word. He's a God who never lies. He's a God who's reliable and trustworthy and faithful. And if there is a promise of God to me, to us in this book, you and I can take it to the bank because we have a God who's a finisher who doesn't give up, who doesn't throw in the towel. God cannot quit. If he says he'll do something, he'll do it. If he starts something, he'll finish it. And that's why Scripture calls our God the Alpha and the Omega. Does anyone know what that means? It's not omega-3s and fatty acids or anything like that. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the first. He's the A to Z. He's the beginning and the end. He's the initiator and the perfecter. He's the God who starts and finishes, starts and finishes, starts and finishes. And he wants us to reflect him. He wants us to be people that start something, we finish it. Because we have a God who's the God of the A to the Z. What he starts, he finishes. Look at his promise in Hebrews 13, 5. One of the 8,000. God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I imagine Derek on the track that day, on that Olympic track, his hopes for a medal dashed when his hamstring is pulled. He gets up and he's determined, I'm going to cross the finish line. I believe it was a follow-up interview when he was asked, why'd you do it? And I believe it was Derek Redman who said, because my country didn't send me to the Olympics to start this race. They sent me to finish it. But it took his dad coming out of the stands to get him across. And my friends, you and I have a heavenly father in the stands coming down to the track to help get us across. He will never leave you, and he will never abandon you. I want you to think for a moment what if this wasn't the case? What if you and I had a God who could fail? Could you imagine 
our, our salvation that we're so excited about, hopeful in, that would be in doubt. Our eternity would be unknown. Our ability to even make it through today would be in question. But the reason that we press forward is because we have a God who doesn't fail, who can't fail. A God who's not a quitter, who's dependable and reliable. God is 100% faithful. He is 100% reliable. And he is 100% trustworthy. We have a God who's a finisher. A God who will never, ever disappoint you. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Because here's what I know. This life is going to disappoint you. Anyone else been disappointed yet by this life? This life is going to disappoint you. This church will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. Good grief. You will disappoint you. But you and I serve a God who can never and will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. But maybe you're thinking, Justin, I just... I hear you, but I can't take it another day. And let me tell you where you're off base by saying that. You're off base by looking at another day. You can't look at tomorrow yet because God hasn't given you the strength for tomorrow yet. Here's the way Jesus put it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. She's like, of course you can't endure tomorrow today. Tomorrow's a whole new ball of wax with a whole new set of challenges. You don't even know how bad it's gonna be. But I haven't given you the grace for tomorrow yet. I haven't given you the strength for tomorrow yet. I'm only depositing in your account today what you need today. And I may not even give you what you need for tonight, this morning. I may give it to you tonight. But I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. Some of you still are thinking, okay, Justin, I'm still confused. If quitting is a respectable sin, is it ever okay to quit? So let me just clarify. If you're quitting a bad habit, go for it. If you're quitting a sinful relationship, go for it. If you're quitting an unhealthy lifestyle or an obsession, go for it. But if you're quitting on a commitment, if you're quitting on something you said you were going to do, something you started, slow down, pause, and have a talk with God. And ask him, God, if I quit this, if I stop this, can I still be considered a faithful person? Because I know a fruit of your spirit that you're trying to build in me is faithfulness. And will I still be considered faithful if I step away now? You say, Justin, I, I have to step away. I have to throw in the towel. I can't make it anymore. I don't have the strength. Well, I got really good news for you. I know a God who likes to give strength to people who don't have any left. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. You feel like you can't go on? Perfect perfect. This is when God's power works best. 
there's this really cool scripture that has motivated believers for thousands of years in Isaiah 40, 29. It says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become tired and young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. My friends, quitting seems like no big deal. But in God's view, faithfulness is a really big deal. We have a guy in our church who has endurance that I admire. Sits up here, second service, every Sunday. And I reached out to him this week and just asked him if I could share his story. And he wrote it out and gave me permission to share it. Said I could share his name. His name's John. And here's his story as we end this morning. He says this. Marge and I, his wife, got married fresh out of high school. We've been married for 50 years. We have three children, five grandchildren, and five great-grandchildren who we love so very much. Our marriage wasn't perfect. I don't think anybody's is. My wife was diagnosed with dementia, though, in 2014. I have taken care of her since day one with the help of my daughters and some aides. I wasn't brought up to be a quitter, and I'm not about to throw in the towel now. The Lord is very faithful, and he will never give me more than I can handle. I just can't put her in a nursing home, and, and I don't know if I ever will. I, I pray to the Lord to help me make that decision. Starting when she was first diagnosed, the first two years, there wasn't much change. She dressed herself, fed herself, and can pretty much do everything except cook. As time went on, she gradually went from taking care of herself to needing 24-7 care. I've had a lot of sleepless nights. And I grow very tired some days. I've asked God many times to give me the strength to take care of her. I have great trust in the Lord, and he will get me through this. Without God, I never could have done it. The Berean Church has brought me a long way in my faith and my connect group as well. The Lord was faithful in 2014 when she was diagnosed, and he'll be faithful now. I'm so thankful I have a relationship with my Lord and Savior. I could have quit many times, but I've refused to. I have fought the good fight. When I'm too tired at the end of the day, the Lord carries me the rest of the way. When we got married on June 26, 1971, we took a vow. Part of it was in sickness and in health till death do us part, a vow we should take very seriously. So I will put this in God's hands, and he will lead me in the right direction. John is not a quitter, and it's because he knows he has a God who will never fail on him. And he has a love for his wife that will persevere, that will not end. And you and I have a God who loves us that same way. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you for people like John. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses we have around us that, that have showed us what endurance looks like. God, it motivates me to keep running this race of faith. Thank you for never quitting on me. 
I pray that you'll help the person here today who needs to accept your forgiveness and join your family. May they know that you're a trustworthy God who never fails and never disappoints. God, help us to not quit because you will never quit on us. Thank you for being the author and the finisher of our faith. God, teach us to endure even through the difficult times. It's in Jesus' awesome name. We pray this, and God's people said, amen.